Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, my name's Tim. If Am I on? Am I off? Can you hear me? Hey, there we go. We're back. We're back. Uh, my name's Tim. Uh, it's great to have you here. If you're just checking us out, you're visiting, it's your first time, I'd love to meet you after the service. Please do come say good day to me. Um, and before we get into uh, these verses, just want to reflect on two quick things. Firstly, how, how good is it to hear that Peter's going to Yarrabah to tell uh, kids about Jesus? I think that's really wonderful. He's, you know, working hard to save up the money for that. He's taking time out to go do that. He could be doing other things with that time. Um, but it's so good to hear that he knows people need Jesus, and so that's why he's doing it. So that's very encouraging for me. The second thing is, I, I just want to let you know a, bit, a little bit about what happened at A Fresh Look. I've been talking about A Fresh Look for a couple of months now. We had our last night of A Fresh Look on Thursday, uh, and, and it's a series where people can come investigate Jesus for the first time. We had five people come over the course to investigate Jesus. Uh, on the last night, on Thursday, we asked people to respond, to choose to put their trust in Jesus. We had three people choose to put their trust in Jesus, one for the first time, two as a recommitment, which is really wonderful news. It's good to see God working in our midst, in our church. These uh, two, two of the three were friends invited along, or already part of our church community. There's one more who was a friend invited along, who isn't quite there yet, but still investigating. So that's very exciting. Please do keep them in your prayers, that God would establish them firmly in their faith. We'll be doing a bunch of follow-up with them over the next few weeks. Uh, but that's very exciting. And, and another exciting piece of news following a fresh look is we have some leftover coffee. So after the service, we're going to be slinging out some nice coffees so we can all celebrate uh, new life in Christ over a coffee together. How about, I, how about I pray for those guys and pray for our time now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father... Thank you so much for new life in Jesus. Thank you for those three people who have decided to trust in Jesus. Thank you that we now get to look forward to seeing them in heaven alongside us, praising our great God and Saviour. Father, we pray that you will establish them in their faith and grow them. We pray for uh, this other attendee who's still trying to figure these things out, that you will reveal to him your grace and your glory and that you will call him home. Uh, call him to be one of your children. Father, we pray for our time now. It, it's so good to celebrate new life, but it's also so good to be reminded of your great love for us. And so today, Father, as we see your love, help us to feel your love. As we become confident in your love of us, may that shape and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who's heard the story, The Giving Tree? Anyone seen that? No one's heard that story. Okay, it's, it's a kid's story. Um, I don't know how old it is, but it, it, I think it's kind of oldish. Um, by that, I mean, like, I think it's like 20, 30 years old. So I guess it's not that oldish. Um, but, I, like, I knew it when I was a kid. The, the, the way The Giving Tree story goes is there's a tree who loves a boy, right? And when the boy's young, the tree gives its branches for the boy to climb. And it gives its fruit for the boy to eat. And it gives its shade for the boy to rest in. And the boy enjoys the tree. And the tree is happy because it loves the boy. But the boy grows up. And the boy visits the tree less often. And eventually the boy is a teenager who wants to go hang out with his mates. But he needs money to do that. So uh, after a long time, he returns to the tree. And he says to the tree, 
Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to climb on your branches anymore. I'm too big for that. What I really want is money to go hang out with my friends. And so the tree says, well, here, have my apples. Go sell them and you'll have money. And the boy takes apples and chuffs off and goes, hangs out with his mates. And the tree's happy because the tree loves the boy. A while later, years later, the boy is now a man and he comes to the tree and the tree's like, do you want some apples? He's like, no, I don't need apples. I need to build a house for my family to live in. And so the tree gives up its branches to the boy so that he might build a house. And he builds a house for his family. And and although the tree has lost its branches, it's happy because it loves the boy. A number of years later, the boy is in his middle age and he's going through that time, that middle age crisis, right? And he comes back to the tree and the tree says, you know, it's great to have you back. Would you like some apples? Would you like climbing? He's like, no, no, no. I want some timber to build a canoe because I'm into canoeing now. And the tree's like, well, my branches aren't big enough for that. Have my trunk and you can carve your canoe out of the trunk. And so the tree gives its entire trunk and it's just a stump left in the ground. But the tree's happy because the tree loves the man. Finally, an old man returns to the tree a long, long time later. And the old man is tired and says to the tree, I just need a place to rest. And the tree says, sit on my stump. And the tree's happy because the tree loves the boy. Now, what I love about that story is it captures something that we all want, doesn't it? We all want to be loved. We we want that kind of love that that gives itself to us, that is devoted to us, committed to us, willing to sacrifice for us. We long for a deep, self-giving commitment. The problem is, human love is fickle. Human love is shallow. And so, uh, husbands and wives become estranged from one another. They divorce, marriages break down. Parents and children drift apart so that they no longer want anything to do with one another. Friendship fades over time. Human love is not this kind of love that we want. It's not the giving tree kind of love. It struggles to be that. We really want that rock-solid, never-ending love. So where do we get it? Well, you're all sitting here in church. I'm sure you're guessing I'm going to say it's God, right? God gives us that love. God's love is that giving over, never-ending, rock-solid kind of love. He is where we can get this kind of love. He has a deep and powerful affection towards us and it's expressed in his willingness to give himself, to give his life over to us. That's the giving tree love and that's God's love. But I think there's another problem. How do we know God loves us? How do we experience God's love? Because I think at some point, everyone doubts God's love. Everyone goes through at times where, God, do you really love me? God, are you really a loving God? We don't feel that love, we don't experience it, and so we doubt. Often through times of suffering, someone you love gets that terminal diagnosis. We suffer severe depression and anxiety. God, do you really love me that you would put me through this? Or even just, you know, the mundane nature of life. It just goes on over and over. Is this really what you want for me, God? Is this really what a loving God would give me? Or maybe it's just when we feel the guilt and shame of our sin. How could God love me when I'm like this? How do we know God loves us? 
That's what I want to answer today. How do we know God loves us? How do I know that God really loves me? How do I know God has that rock-solid, never-departing love? How can I know that in the good and bad? How can I know that when I'm suffering and when I'm rejoicing? How can I know and be filled with joy at God's love? That's what we're doing today. And I'm going to keep it simple. We only have two points, all right? They're a bit longer than usual, so it's just two. But don't worry, we'll get out of here at a reasonable time. The, the first thing I want to show you is that God creates in love. God creates in love. Let me show you from Psalm 136, that first reading we had today. Uh, so grab a Bible out, put it in front of you so you can look at it with me, so you know I'm not just making stuff up. Uh, get it on your phone, get it in the book. You might have picked up a, a theme to that psalm. Like, there was this repeated phrase, I don't know if you noticed it. His love endures forever. This psalm, it's a song of praise. The, the singers of the psalm and, and the author of the psalm and, and those who sing it, they're praising God for his love. In between each repeated verse is more evidence of God's love. So, it says something about God's love, his love endures forever. Something about God's love, his love endures forever. Let me show you. There's a couple of different ways that God shows his love in this verse. Let me show you the first one. Uh, Look with me uh, from verse 4 of Psalm 136. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. But what we see there is God creates the world in wisdom and with great power. And the repetition in the psalm, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, it it clues us into the fact that creation is actually an act of love towards us. We praise God for His love shown in creation. But how is creation an act of love? What does that mean? Well, to understand, we actually have to start with the Trinity, oddly enough. The Trinity helps us understand how love, uh, how creation is an act of love. Because have you ever wondered what God did before creation? It's just before there was any heavens and earth, before you and I were around, before anything, what did God do? Was He lonely? Was He bored? He's neither of those things because God is three in one. God is triune. There's three persons to our great God. The Bible, and in particular the New Testament, speaks about one God in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, Right? And these three persons have always existed in our one God. They've always been together. There was never a moment where there wasn't three in one. And what that means is, before creation, there was relationship. And it was the perfect, loving relationship. So we can say God is love, because before He made anything, He loved. The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father... The Spirit loved the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son loved the Spirit. You see this in in John 17, 24. Jesus is praying to His Heavenly Father and He says these words, Father, You loved me before the creation of the world. 
Before there was anything else to love, the Father loved the Son. Love is essential to who God is. God is love. If God was not three, if God was just one in one, God couldn't be love, because before He created the world, there's nothing to love. There's no one to love. Love is a relationship. But because God is three in one, God is love. And God, in His love, that love overflows into the act of creation. Creation comes out of God's character and who He is, and because He is love, love is poured out in creation. When, the God, when God made the entire cosmos, the most distant star, the smallest subatomic particle, God made that in love. Uh, imagine a chef, and uh, I was, you know, trying to think of who's the coolest chef I know, and then I invented a chef. Steve Best Sheffy, like Steve Buscemi, but Steve Best Sheffy. That joke is going to kill at 5pm, so don't worry, I don't need your chuckles now. Uh, Steve, he's a Michelin star chef, right? He, he works in, in the most exclusive bakery in Sydney, right in the city there. He only bakes the most expensive, the most special cakes in his bakery. The wait list to get a cake from his bakery is months long. But if you want Steve to make the cake itself, it's years long. One day, Steve is really excited to make a cake. And he's at work, he's all jittery about the upcoming project. He's, he's really excited about this cake. And he's at work, he's in the kitchen working away and, you know, he's expertly measuring his ingredients. He's got a scale. You know those, like, huge mixing things? He's got the mixing thing. He, he's carefully mixing the batter and preparing it so that it's perfect, it's not too airy, it's not too dense, he does his thing. I don't know about cakes, but I assume that's what goes on. Once cooked, he assembles this beautiful, huge three-tiered cake and he prepares the most delicious buttercream imaginable. He decorates it with these icing flowers that just, they look so realistic, so beautiful. The, the final product is just breathtaking. Like, this, you could serve this cake to the king. That's how amazing it is. It looks so good, you don't want to eat it. It costs so much, it's about all you're going to be able to eat for the year. It's the best cake you've ever seen. And once complete, the customer comes in to pick it up that day, but Steve isn't there to give it to the customer. He's already run off home because that wasn't the cake he was excited about. He was excited about the cake he's making that evening. His daughter is turning two and he can't wait to make her cake. He's been so excited to make her cake. He uses all the same ingredients. He follows the same steps for the same recipe. But this time, it's very different. Instead of using just regular strawberry jam between the layers, he uses raspberry because that's his daughter's favourite flavour. Instead of the white buttercream on the elegant cake, he uses his bright, vivid purple because his daughter loves purple. Instead of the, the elegant-looking flowers... He does his best to, like, draw Elsa, because his daughter loves Frozen. The only... Uh, this time, not only is Steve there for the delivery of the cake, but he's the one that brings it out to his daughter, puts it in front of her, is just so excited to see how she reacts, and, and she loves it. She's like, oh, man, this is amazing, it's Elsa. But, like, in a two-year-old voice, right? Uh, he's so happy with it. He's so overjoyed that she doesn't even wait to blow out the candle, she just grabs a fistful of cake and starts putting it in her mouth. And he laughs at that, and he loves that. The two cakes are the same, aren't they? But they're also very, very different. 
The cake that Steve crafts for his daughter, that is an act of love. It overflows out of his love for his daughter. God creates in love. This creation overflows out of love, out of love towards us. God creates to share his love with us. And so he's careful not just to make this creation suitable for us, which it certainly is, but he makes it delightful for us. There are so many things in this creation that we can enjoy because God made them enjoyable. God creates out of love to share the joy of his love with us. We are loved because God creates in love. And so our response to God's act of love should be the same response as the psalm. The very first verse gives thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Why do we give thanks? Because God has loved us. And as it says, give thanks there, uh, you press into the meaning of it and it's like, give joyful recognition to all that God has done for you. Praise God because of his love in act of creation. Romans 1 puts it negatively, right? Psalm 136 says, praise God for his creation. Romans 1 says, God's wrath is being revealed against those who don't give thanks to God for his good creation. Even though everyone can see, uh, can, can understand there is a God and his invisible qualities from creation, those who don't turn and give thanks to him will be punished. So we see the positive, give thanks, the negative, don't give thanks, and you'll be punished. God made everything that we enjoy. The mountains we hike, the oceans we swim in, I enjoy that one more, the forests and the bush that we can bush bash through, right? The shade we can find there, the sunsets that are so beautiful. He made the planets and the stars by which we navigated by for, for centuries and millennia. He made food and he made it delicious. Imagine if God didn't make food delicious. But he did because he loves us. He wants us to enjoy his good creation. And not only did he make food delicious, he made it a great joy to share with one another. We love to eat together. He could have made it so that food was bland and tasteless and you just ate it alone by yourself and there was no community around it, but he didn't. God made the satisfaction of hard work completed. God made the diversity of human culture. God made relationships with friends and family all these are gifts from a loving God to people who he loves. All these are given to us in love, so we turn and give thanks to God for his good creation. So even before we start talking about our salvation, even before we talk about Jesus and the problem of sin and how he fixed it, we know we ought to praise and give thanks to God because God is good to lovingly create this world for us. But we will talk about salvation. And that's my next point. Firstly, God creates in love, but God saves in love. God saves in love. Come again to Psalm 136, and let's look at the next bit of evidence of God's love. You see it in verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. 
To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. God's love is expressed as he brings his people out of Egypt, as he rescues them out of slavery from the hands of Pharaoh and his armies and brings them to his mountain. It continues, verse 17. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, the king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. Not only does God rescue his people out of Egypt, he brings them to a land and and defeats the people who live there, the, the opposing enemy kings, so that his people might arrive safely in the land. And then finally, verse 21 and 22... And gave, their, and gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. All parts of salvation are acts of God's love. Redeeming them from slavery. Delivering them safely. Giving them a place that is their own. A place of promise. All part of God's love. Salvation is God's act of love towards his people. But the Exodus is only a hint. It's only a hint of the true, final, far more glorious, ultimate act of love that we see at the cross. So come now to our second passage, Romans chapter 5. Come to the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, where Paul the Apostle writes, uh, and he's already kind of shown us our need for salvation who's shown us how our salvation works, and then he talks about the benefits of our salvation. And look at verse 6 of chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. How does God demonstrate his ultimate act of love for us? How do we know God loves us? He sent Jesus to die. Not while we were his friends, while we were his enemies, while we hated him, while we were rebelling against him. We see the measure of love, right? that God would rescue his enemies. Just think about verse 7 a bit. Verse 7 can be a little bit confusing, but, but let's look at what it says. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. You're not, it's going to take a lot of love to die for someone who is morally upright and good, but cold. They're not very likable, they're just good. It's going to take a lot of... Now, it's easier to die for the person who's warm Though, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Like, you you can imagine that. You you die for a a loving, caring friend. Yeah, you can see. It still takes a lot of love to die for someone. But you know what would take more love than either of those options? To die for your enemy. To die for those who hate you. To die for those who are evil and wicked. But that's what God does. That's what Jesus does. That's how much He loves us. Jed William Danahay was a medic in Ukraine. Uh, he died last year. He, he was an Aussie from Queensland. He was a man full of life by all accounts. Uh, at only 27 when he went to Ukraine and, and later died. By 27, he had visited 27 countries. I've been to like three. 
not including Australia, so four. His family said that he did more in his 27 years of life than most of us do in a life. He was full of life. He experienced so many things, but his life was cut short. He was driving a medical vehicle in Ukraine when he came under enemy, enemy fire and he was shot and killed. This is a deep, deep tragedy. A deep tragedy. The, the violence, the wickedness has taken this young man's life. He was, he was driving uh, injured Ukrainian soldiers uh, to safety uh, when, when he was killed. Imagine if, if his truck wasn't just full of Ukrainian soldiers, though. Imagine if, if he had also gathered up injured Russian soldiers so that they might get the medical attention they need. And as he's driving these Russian soldiers, he comes under Russian fire. The, the, the friends of those same soldiers he's protecting kill him. Now, it's a tragedy that he died, but how much more would it be a tragedy if he died caring for the enemy? That would be a far greater tragedy because it shows far greater love. That's the love of Jesus. He died caring for his enemies. He died to save his enemies. He died for the health of his enemies. Jesus loves you to death. Literally, Jesus loves you to death. He loved you to the point that he died for you. Jesus loves you to death even before there was any hint of love in your heart towards him. Jesus loved you to death before you ever prayed one word to him, before you ever read one Bible verse, before you ever gave one cent to gospel ministry. Jesus loved you to death. Jesus loved you to death on your worst day, not just your best day. Jesus loved you to death knowing every hell-deserving denial of him that you would commit, that you ever did commit. God's love for you in Jesus is supreme love. There is no love greater than Jesus' love for you. And Jesus' love is the giving tree love, isn't it? The giving tree gives itself over completely, so all that remains is a stump. Jesus gives himself over completely, gives his life up, for us. We can hear the giving tree story and we rightly say, that boy is selfish. He takes and takes and takes and never gives, doesn't care. But nowadays, there's this wrong critique of the tree. The tree shouldn't give itself up like that when the boy is not reciprocal. That's not love, that's foolishness. But that's the love of Jesus. That's lo that love's not to be scorned by us. It's to be celebrated, welcomed, rejoiced in, because that's Jesus to us. Without that kind of love, we would have no hope. And so here's the big takeaway for today. If you've been snoozing till now, wake up, this is the thing. How do you know God loves you? Look to the cross of Christ. How do you know Jesus died for you? It is an objective display of God's love. It is a historical fact of God's love. This means that God's love, it doesn't depend on how you feel day to day. If you don't feel God's love, He still loves you. If you feel unworthy of God's love, He still loves you. It doesn't depend on how you feel or if you're currently experiencing God's love. He still loves you. How do you know? Because of the cross. 
how you feel, what you've done, none of those things have any bearing on whether God loves you or not. The cross is the evidence of God's love. And so if you want to know what true love is, but you haven't yet experienced it, you don't yet know it, look to the cross of Christ. If you doubt God's love, because it's hard to believe that God would love you when you feel the guilt and shame of your sin, or or when you're going through such intense suffering, how could a loving God put you through this? Look to the cross of Christ. If you forget God's love, because the humdrum of life just takes over and you, you don't experience it day to day, look to the cross of Christ. You are loved. If you trust in Jesus for your salvation, you are deeply loved. You are secure in God's love for you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. You can know you are loved without a hint of doubt in your mind. You can have that confidence. You don't need to try and earn God's love. You don't need to be good enough. You don't need to uh, put that sin to death or fix that part of your life or clean yourself up. God already loves you. So be filled with confidence and joy. God has rock-solid, never-departing love for you. How do you know? Jesus died for you. Now, this means we can change how we think. This shapes the way we think about ourselves and our world. I'm going to give you five short ways that it changes how we think. The first one is that we only think about our past in terms of our salvation. So, normally, we would think something like, wow... My past is so bad, my sin was so foul, I've been truly far from God, there is no way God could love me. But when you look to the cross of Christ, your thinking changes. And so now, you know, my past is so bad, my sin is so foul, how could God love me? No, no, God saved me because God loves me, which I see on the cross. We only think about our past in terms of our salvation. Secondly, when you discover more sin in your life, when God reveals to you just another facet of your wickedness, selfishness, idolatry, pride, whatever it is, we don't doubt God's love. We no longer say, you know, look at my wretchedness, look at my wickedness, I'm even worse than I thought I was, there is no way God could possibly love someone like me. Instead, you know, look at my wickedness, look at my wretchedness, I'm worse than I thought I was, How great is God's love that He's already paid for that sin? How great is God's grace that that sin has already been covered over? That sin that was hidden from my sight has already been paid for. God loves me more than I ever knew. Thirdly, when your conscience accuses you, when you're feeling the guilt and weight and shame of your sin, you don't answer it with reference to your performance. What I mean, you know, I, I sinned because I was tired and, and because I was tired, I just gave in. Or, or I, I sinned because I had a bad day and it's just everything built up and I exploded. Or even, you know, I've been going pretty well lately, I deserve to let my hair down. Instead, we think, you know, even if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't deserve to be accepted by God. But how great is God's love that He accepts me despite that, that He accepts me anyway, that He covers over that sin and a thousand more for a thousand million more people than me. How loved am I? Fourthly, when you face criticism, you're not defensive. 
When someone points out your sin, your flaws, your weaknesses, you no longer think, oh, how wretched I am. How could God love me? Instead, you go, God's love is so great that He's already paid for it. Do you see the pattern here? As sin, as we see sin, as sin's pointed out, as we stumble in sin, we don't go, how could God love me? We go, God has already paid for it on the cross. Of course He loves me. And so lastly, fifthly, when you face death, we don't face it with fear. Instead, we face death with serenity because we know we're going to meet a friend who loves us dearly. We're going home to our Lord Jesus who died for us. God's love is so great that it can even change how we understand ourselves. Isn't that amazing? We can be confident in God's love. Let me finish with this. God loves you. Whether whether you, you trust in Jesus or not, God loves you because He created the world for you. He's given you such a good, loving gift. He loves you. But for those who trust in Jesus, God has shown His love that would save you by sending His Son to die for you. Don't doubt God's love. Look at the cross of Christ. Let me finish with these words of Jesus from John 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You can be confident of, your, of God's love for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you would love us. Thank you that you love all of humanity by creating the world for us and making it such a wonder and a joy to us. And thank you so much more for Jesus, through whom you show your ultimate act of love, that he would die for his enemies to make us his friends. Help us to never doubt Jesus, never doubt your love for us, Help us to feel and experience your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.